Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. So really quick, raise your hand if you feel like you've ever been in a place where you don't belong. (laughs) All the time, man, all the time. Well, last January, I had the opportunity, I got invited to the White House. Yeah, it was crazy. And when I walked, I was like checking my suit, making sure I was like all shaved, all clean cut. And like I walked in and immediately when I walked in, they gave me like this all access badge. I was like, I don't belong here. So you can see even like during this interview, I know, look at my clean cut self. That's a secret service SUV behind me. They probably had a sniper ready to go. Like, see, see up there in the booth up there? He's our sniper. He's red. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We don't have any snipers, I promise. But yeah, the whole time, I was petrified. Just walking into the grounds. There's the Eisenhower building. Then I walked into the West Wing where like Rosa Parks and Billy Graham waited for their Presidential Medal of Freedom. And here I am, a little... Small town boy like me sitting in a chair like, uh, yeah, some of you started singing the song. I don't belong here. And then they escorted me into the Oval Office. And that was even worse. (laughs) That was like, holy crud. I'm petrified. And over and over and over again, I looked at people who did belong or who were like talking and chatting. Like, they belong here. I don't. And then... President, the president leaned over to me and said, hey, share your story. So I started sharing my story about how I had to sue my high school, Pine Creek. I know some of you guys are alumni. I sued that school. Sorry. I went to Pine Creek. I had to sue for my rights to pray during school hours. And I had to share that in front of a ton of cameras. And anytime I made a movement, it was like, like it sounded like a tidal wave of snapshots. It was terrifying. So I was about to just be like, my name is Chase. And, and no joke, I had a minute speech prepared. They, they made you turn it in. It was terrifying. I did 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I forgot like most of it. And then when I shook his hand, even when I shook his hand, I, I shook his hand. I was like, he belongs here. I don't. How many of you felt like you don't belong? A lot. A lot of us feel like we don't belong in place. Well, my encouragement to you is that 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It addresses what it means to belong in the body of Christ. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world who can... Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love, the love that God has for us. I'm going to read that one more time. This is important. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Okay, funny story. I have my phone up here, and I do some junior high discipleship, and they made the mistake of adding me to their discipleship text thread, and my phone's been going off nonstop as I've been talking. Mm-hmm. All, all the junior hires are like, I didn't know he could see that. Just turn off your phones or use it for notes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Y'all, let me tell you a little bit about the disciple who wrote this, the Apostle John. In a book that he wrote, the book of John, it's a gospel account, it's a biography, he named himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And at first, when I first heard that, I was like, what the heck? Like, who writes a book about themselves and then says, I was his favorite? <laughs> it's like me going into the president and be like, I'm your favorite, right? <laughs> like, I'm, you love it when I'm here. And he just looks at me like, no. <laughs> but just John says, no, the disciple who Jesus loved. So I, was, I searched this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and I, just, I couldn't resist. I had to share this photo. Is like, I kind of wonder if this was John's Instagram. Like, hey, Jesus, come here. Pretend, like, put your arm, like, put your arm over here. Oh, wait, what am I doing, John? That's okay. Can I put my head on your shoulder? Like, okay. And like, took a snapshot. See, I told you he's my favorite. And for a long time, I just thought, Man, that's kind of how, like, he was just like this conceited guy. But then I started reading his letters. And I realized, what if he actually got it? Like he got something that none of, us, none of us got. What if he was the disciple whom Jesus loved because he really understood God's love? There are some of you in this room tonight who you are afflicted with the question, does God really love me? Not, yeah, God's loving. But like, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who flips. I'm not the lady who lives on a ranch. I'm not, does he really love me? And I want you to know, like, this phrase, this passage is going to comfort those of us in this room tonight. Let me read 1 John 4, verse 16 again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The NLT says it a little bit more clear. It says, we know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Let me read this again. We know just how much God loves us. Like Imagine me being able to be like a... The kid of John F. Kennedy, if you've ever seen pictures or videos of the Kennedys, the kids, no joke, would bring horses, their ponies, into the White House. Like, I belong here. I can bring whatever I want. Because they knew how much their dad loved them. They had a place there. They belonged there because their father was there. They knew it. They didn't have the question, do I belong here? Because dad said they belonged here. So when we begin to know really know the love of God, the perfect, proactive. I'm not talking about the passive, like, when you do this, then I'll love you. No, no. Know the, the love that John saw, 
the reason why he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Jesus never said that. He picked up on it, on the way Jesus lived. He picked up on it, on the way Jesus was disarming, on the way Jesus made everyone feel like they belonged. So once we begin to know, really know the proactive, perfect love of God, our hearts will settle into an ever-increasing peace with God. The whole time I was in the White House, I was there for well over five hours, wandering around. I'd never had peace. I never felt like I could quite sit down and be myself because I felt like I didn't belong. Same thing with God. There are some of you in this room who are so afflicted, you can't sit down and rest in God's presence because you don't know that he loves you. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, the word of the Lord is that he does. So may the word of the Lord comfort those who have been afflicted with the question, does God really love me? Yes, he does. I'm not just talking a general love. I'm not just talking this generic, like, I love all of you. No, like, if my son one day was sitting in this room, if I can lie, I would love him the most because he's mine. But when we feel like we're dispersonal or impersonal with God, that's kind of how it makes it feel, like a preacher on a stage with a big bunch of people. He says he loves me, but he doesn't really make eye contact. But hear this. It's like God being up here. There's a crowd of people that you don't know, but all you know, that's your dad. He's speaking. And when he says, I love person in this audience so much, instantly you know who that is. It's me. I know it. So friends, my encouragement to you is if you have not leaned in to God's love, Please do it. Think about it like this. Think about it like a task that's so stressing you out that you've put it off. Like you just don't want to do it. Every time you think about it, you kind of get a pit in your stomach. That was like my, my wife and I, we have the nursery. It was her project to set up the nursery, to get it ready, to get it painted. Like she had this whole vision. She's like, can I please do it? I was like, absolutely. So I helped her get the furniture out one week, and then she taped everything, and then it sat there for weeks weeks. And then just recently, she went on a trip to California. And so I spent my free hours painting and getting ready the nursery. So that when she came in, even though she came in through the garage, she saw all the supplies all over the place in the garage. Instantly, she probably was thinking, man, I have to do the nursery. Not looking forward to it. I'm exhausted. Then she gets upstairs and she passes by and she sees it. And I'm already walking that way. And I, I turn around when I'm in there. And she's like, what? You, you did this for me? Like it's done? You know that peace that settles over? Like as you're like, okay, I just got to buck up. I just got to do this task. You go over and it's done. That peace that settles over, he's like, okay. Well, hear me when I say this. The task before us, Jesus says, is to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. He says it in the Sermon on the Mount. He also says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which by the way, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had the entire Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And your righteousness has to exceed that. 
that's a big task. That's like 100 nurseries to paint. And so we get all nervous, we get all riled up, and we start preparing for the task. We maybe start taping, like we start doing around it. Okay, I'm gonna plan my devotions. Maybe I'm gonna get, download a Bible reading plan. Maybe I'm gonna join accountability. We start planning for the task, but we never do it because we know it's impossible or it stresses us out. But all God wants you to do is go into the room and see that he's already done it. He just wants you to go into the room saying, let's enjoy a completed task. Because then my wife and I, we spent date night in an empty nursery, dreaming about our son coming. And we had dinner there. And the idea of like, God just wants you to turn around from trying to prepare or trying to just kind of put that task off or thinking, oh, I've already done it. Telling your friends, I've already done it. It's kind of like you, your, home, your teacher asks, have you done your homework? <laughs> yeah. And you know you haven't even started. Like, wait, what's the assignment? <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. So there's two, yeah, there's two groups. But God just wants you to turn around and walk into the room and enjoy a completed task. So may you know the word of the Lord is to comfort those who've been afflicted by the question, does God really love me? If that question ever comes up in your head, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. And go walk into the room and sit down with Jesus and enjoy the completed task. Back in high school when I had depression, serious depression, I remember laying outside in the lawn, just weeping like, God, please take me, please take me. And I, I was in a mean spirit, I was testing God. God, if you love me, send me a shooting star. If you love me, you can do that. You can just flick a star, like no star came. So then I thought he didn't love me. Then years and years later, I've begun to see the love of God, not just in extra stuff. I don't need a voice from heaven. I don't need a finger on the wall. I have thousands of verses right here that he's preserved over 2,000 years, three different languages, 15, over 40 different authors, all different languages, all over a span of 1,500 years, he's preserved it. It's like someone really keeping a love note safe until you return. He loves me. But now, guess what? Every time I see a shooting star, I think of God's love. So my encouragement to you is don't try and seek God's love elsewhere before you seek it in the word. Then everything else is just extra. When I smell the smell of rain, I feel like God's saying, I love you, son. Every time I see a shooting star, I love you, son. Every time I see my wife, I definitely love you, son. Then there are those of us in the room, we don't need to be comforted. We know the answer to the question, does God really love us? But we are comfortable in a wrong way. Like, of course God loves me. Have you seen who I am? Excuse me? Like, God does love me. If you don't know if you're that person, I'm going to put you through a little test. I like to call it the favorite child syndrome. How many of you have ever asked your grandparents or your parents, I'm your favorite, right? All the time. I had five siblings. We have two sets of grandparents. All the time I asked them, hey, you're my favorite, right? And one time I was alone with my grandparents and they're like, yes, of course. I was like, yes. And for a year, I would just lord it over my siblings. I'm, I'm, I'm his favorite. Or mostly over my older brother, Kyle. Like, I'm, I'm grandma's favorite. I'm grandma's favorite. And he's like, okay, okay. 
What I didn't know, a year later I found out that the same, de- the same trip when he was alone, he asked the same question, and she said, yes, you're my favorite. <laughs> so he was just like, yeah, you do you, bro. But what happened in me, is that, or what happens in that favorite child, is automatically we assume I'm their favorite because of merit that I've done. I'm their favorite because I'm the person who listens the most. I'm their favorite because I've got all straight A's. I'm their favorite because, because. And we come up with this whole long list and we wear it on our chest. Like, mm-hmm, siblings, do you look at this? And then we start treating our siblings the way we think love works. We think, you'll be my favorite when you have a list like mine. We'll be, I'll be your favorite You'll be my favorite when you stop bugging me or when you X, Y, or Z. Here's the deal, friends. The way you love other people is almost always a reflection of how you see the love of God. Almost always. It's how you see the love of God. So let me read you the warning in this chapter. There's comfort and there's warning. Verse 11 through 12, I'm going to read it in the message I just think it gets so good. It says, my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply in us and his love becomes complete in us, perfect love. Skipping to verse 20 and 21, it says, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or his sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person, if we won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. You're like, man, I just had Christianity figured out. Like, me and Jesus were having sweet times together. I don't need to go love my enemy. It's me and Jesus, we're we're like really jiving, like he's really highlighting verses and he's giving me pictures and visions and dreams. But then you go right on gossiping and slandering and stabbing people in the back with your words. My friends, I'm here to tell you that you saying you love God is a lie. The word of the Lord is a double-edged sword piercing to the very marrow of the bone. Remember, the marrow is in the middle of the bone, like to the core of who we are. So some of us tonight, yes, it needs to be pierced with comfort. But some of us, it needs to be pierced with confrontation. The way we treat other people, we think that, that we treat them the way we think God treats us. Oh, no, I'll listen to them. I, I won't text on my phone when they're preaching. I won't, like, gossip behind their back. I won't do any of that when they show me they're worthy. When they show me that they, they can do something for me. I'll scratch their back when they scratch mine. If you think that's how God's love is, you're always going to be in a place of constant anxiety, constant burnout, and constantly being drained. But if, can we go back to 11 and 12? My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, the word like this is kind of the idea of just how much God loves us. Going into the, completing ta- the completed task, sitting with Jesus, letting him see it. If God loved us just like this, we can rephrase it. If God loved us so incredibly much, we ought to love one another. Notice how it doesn't flip the two. Even in other translations, 
that are more word for word. It doesn't say, because we love each other, shouldn't we love God too? Friends, the disconnect is always when we supersede our love for God from his love for us. We try and switch them. God, I love you so much. That's where we start. Instead of God, you've loved me radically. Completely different, completely changed. Think about it like this. If we start with our love for God and we are like the favorite child syndrome, it's kind of like the Pharisee in the Gospels in Luke where the Pharisee is there and the tax collector is right next to him and the tax collector is weeping before God and the Pharisee is like, God, thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you that you love me because of what I've done, X, Y, or Z. Jesus goes on to say that the person who's really going to be in the kingdom of heaven is the person who's weeping, saying, God, you love me so much. And then the other flip of the coin, so we can either be the Pharisee, God, thank you, you love me. Have you seen who I am today? If we live in that state of world, we will constantly think, am I saved? I'm saved today. I'm not saved today. I'm saved today. Because it's up to us. But if we start really loving Jesus, maybe, and loving his love for us, then it's kind of like the Good Samaritan. He saw this man helpless, bruised, beaten, completely crushed. And he said, or perhaps, it's not really in the text, he said, perhaps, he thought, that's how I was. And God came to me anyway. So I'm going to go take care of him. See the difference? We go from God being at our disposal to us being at God's disposal. We go from my love for God to God's love for me propels me into it. So here's the challenge. Whether we're someone who needs to be comforted by this word or who needs to be convicted by this word tonight. The challenge is this. Nowhere in the Gospels did we see Jesus eating a meal by himself. Here's why. Because he knew that he, his purpose on earth was to let the intimacy he shared with the Father rub off on the people he was with. Get close to them. Share life with them. Do life with them. It wasn't just to teach. It was teach to obey. It's one thing if your parents say, go clean the garage. You've never done it before. And it's another thing, let's go clean the garage. They teach you how to do it and they do it with you. That's the way Jesus said. Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might and strength. Let me show you how to do that. Let me invite you in. That's kind of like even Old Testament, Abraham. How Abraham, God says, you are going to be blessed. I'm going to bless your family so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Friends, he is loving you radically, not because of you. That's a lot of pressure off the shoulders. He's loving you because he's a good God. He's loving you and he says, the disciple whom I love. About you. And he's not saying it generically, he's saying it about you. And here's what he did. Very practical step. Something as necessary and as basic as eating is also the most disarming and inviting thing there is. When we decide to have an open seat at the table for someone, it disarms them. It makes them feel like they belong. Imagine if the president looked at me, 
saw I was nervous. I said, Chase, I'm having lunch after this. I have a seat reserved for you. I wrote your name down already. What? Automatically, the idea of I don't belong goes away because the person who did belong invited me. Friends, there are people who desperately need Jesus and they need to belong in his family, but they need to be invited. And how can they be invited unless the person who belongs invites them? Just like Romans, how can they believe on a God who they never heard? How can they um, hear of a God unless someone preaches? How can they preach unless they're sent? My friends, I'm here to tell you, here's your challenge. At least once this week, I want you to purposefully go out of your way to create a seat at the table for someone who has not been allowed at the table and your friends. Like, mm, they'll get at the table when they get their act together. Mm, they'll, they'll hang out with me when they, for, they apologize for stabbing me in the back. They'll, you, can, you can come up with a million excuses. That's fine. Pastor Victor, can you come on up? But do it anyway. Not out of God. I know you're, I'm your favorite, and watch me. Like, I'll prove that I'm your favorite by doing this. No, no, no. It's God, you have given me a seat at your table so that I can create a seat at your table for someone else. Can you guys do that? It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you awkward conversation. If you're terrified, if you have no idea how to talk to people, come talk to me. It's okay. If you are so bitter at the person that, like, right now, it just popped into your head who you're supposed to have lunch with. It just popped into your head. You're trying to push it out of your head because you're like, no, I'm not that good of a Christian. No, no, no. That person. If you're still so bitter, come talk to me. We'll learn how to heal that bitterness in Jesus' name so that they can come and have a seat. So what we're going to do is actually, remember, we're not going to start with our love for God or what we're doing for God. We're going to start with God's love for us. So if you wouldn't mind standing. Communion uh, servers, please go to your buckets. God has prepared a centuries-old, an age-old meal called communion, the Eucharist. And what this declares is that my body is broken for you, my blood is poured out for you, because I'm good, come and eat. Come and drink. As often as we are physically hungry, I pray that we would realize that there is a world starving to have a seat at the table of the Lord. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.